<laughs> I think we're live. Let's see. There it is. Nice. I got your comments. It's day one of 2024. Can you believe it? Man, when I grew up in the 80s, if you would have told me I'd be alive in 2024, I'd have been like, damn straight, because I'm going to live forever, son, because that's how you feel when you're a teenager. <laughs> Come on down, everyone. Let's celebrate this chill day. Uh, there was a big earthquake in Japan. There's all kinds of drama, as usual, in the Middle East. It's uh, There's a war, apparently, in Russia. And But is any of that happening here right now? No. So let's look at what is here now, always. Your comments. Ashley Stewart's first. And Jackie and George Shepard and Jennifer Santos. Man, it's like a it's a whole crew of retreat people here. KT, happy new year, y'all. Fulsome with Cynthia. So um, yeah, 24, man. It's just, we make these numbers up. Like, you know, it's trips around the sun. That's what we apparently use to divide this imaginary thing we call time into parts that give us some sense of continuity and stability and uh, I hate to I hate to break it to y'all, but it's not really real. It doesn't have inherent reality, but it has relative reality. It has storybook, dreamscape reality. So we can enjoy time. We can enjoy celebrating the new year. We can enjoy this weird paradox that somehow Sydney, Australia celebrates it a whole bunch earlier than California does. Like, so clearly, time is an absolute, right? <laughs> um, Melissa, can't stay, but happy new year. Happy new year. Jennifer says, I've been having my own retreat this day. And that's the best way to spend New Year's Day. Uh, yeah, we have big, dude, I, I gotta say this. I wish I could retreat from the sheer amount of food that I ate over this last couple weeks, man. It's a lot. I just don't care. I'm just like, whatever. We do, we go hiking and stuff, but I haven't really been exercising much. Um, so I think I'm going to have to retreat to eating one meal a day again. Uh, <laughs> Ashley says, I just finished this afternoon meditation um, that basically cried for 40 minutes, uh, feeling everything beautiful, 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 beautiful. Yeah. You know, it, it's weird for me. Those things come in real unpredictable cycles, the emotion stuff. So like this morning I was meditating because my wife has been off but for the last week, but now she's back. She was on call for the ER this morning doing working from home, teleradiology. And and uh, so she was gone, the kids were asleep. Um, and so I was sitting meditating and I was just doing a thing, you know, Adya Shanti points to this that, is kind of sitting with the unborn, unmanifest presence that's looking through your eyes and all eyes and is beyond conception, beyond thought, beyond description, um, beyond knowing, actually, in the way the mind knows. 
And so I was sitting, dropping into that, which is always and already here now. It is now. It is the eternal now that's looking through your eyes. And everything else is appearance, right? This is the source and substance of all appearance. And so as I'm sitting with that, it just suddenly, the body-mind kind of pattern went, ah, and uh, started getting very like, mm, no, because it, it really is, it has no role in actually what it actually is. Uh, so it gets scared. It's, it's like a kind of death um, for, for the egoic process, the sense of the illusion of self and those kind of things. And so it can feel, sometimes it can, there's this emotional response of like, ah. And so it just found myself again, just like, wow, strong emotion coming from nowhere. Like it had no story attached to it but it was quite profound. You know, there's tears and there's like, oh, but there's a knowing, there's like a fundamental okayness, which I know, Ashley, you have this, where it's like, yeah, this is okay. This is actually better than okay. This is exactly what needs to be felt right now. And there's probably a billion causes and conditions as to why this particular emotion is arising, but they're all beyond knowing. So let's just feel it full on and then see what the next thing is and the next thing and the next thing without attaching to the concept of the next thing. So it's dropping concepts. And in a way, this idea of surrender, this idea of, I mean, we're talking about 2024 now, it's a new year. What if we just surrendered? So what does that really mean in the context, in the, in the way of speaking that I'm, I'm pointing at? What it means is letting everything be exactly as it is. Everything exactly as it is. So that means even the desire to change things, let that be. Okay, that's there. Even judgment. Oh, there's a judgment about that. Oh, look, judgment. Let that be. Perfectly as it is, without that extra step of trying to stand apart from experience, manage it, do all of that. And if that if those processes arise, you can notice even those processes. And then you just let everything be. So if there's an impulse to get up and make a sandwich, you get up and make a sandwich, but you you do it almost like the way you might imagine a cat does something. It just there's an impulse and it goes and it does the thing. And it's done without applying a bunch of labeling and thinking and pushing and pulling on experience. It's just experience happens. And that is surrender. So when you surrender into say the unmanifest ground of being, and that's just a way of speaking, those words mean nothing. It's pointing at something that you can't talk about. All you're doing really is you're just not doing. You're just saying, okay, what's here now that isn't a thought, isn't a phenomenal appearance, isn't anything you can describe, but you damn well know it's here because it's the substance of everything. You just intuit that. And again, these words are silly, but I'm pointing at what this is and surrendering to that means not trying to understand it, not trying to make sense of it, not trying to describe it like I'm trying right now, 
not trying to grasp it, hold it, make something of it, just seeing what exactly is here now in your immediate experience. And that kind of surrender is is a very powerful non-practice. It's just allowing everything to be. So if there's strong emotion, like Ashley had, then you cry for 40 minutes, no problem. It's only a problem in the mind. Um, Happy New Year, Doc. Uh, RN, New York Department of Corrections. Nice, David. Thank you for what you do. Um, Taking care of people who really have been marginalized by everything, including themselves. Um, Beautiful. Where can I find the entire, wait a minute now, hold on. Glasses, glasses time. (laughs) 2024 means I gotta wear my glasses more because I ain't getting any younger. Where can I find the entire hot body of this guy? I mean, I really hope you're not talking about this guy because there's no hot body here. There's a post-holiday gut Um, (laughs) and generalized just chillness. I, I, man, I tell you, around about April, I just stopped going to the gym. I was like, forget it. Why am I doing this? Like, is it for my health? Because I'm not really healthier doing this. I can just walk and I'll get the same health benefits. So why am I doing this? Mm, because I have a self-image of someone who stays fit, um, goes to the gym, cares about health. Like, it's all image. It's all identity. It's all a story. So what happens when I just allow the body to tell me what it wants to do? I go walk for three miles and it's nothing strenuous. And I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I don't. And, you know, it's like, it's like that. But that requires, again, a letting be. It requires a surrender, a surrender of who you think you are, the self-image you've been trying to hold up all your life, really. And there's multiple self-images. There's the image of you know, father or mother. There's the image of son or daughter. There's the image of sister or brother. There's the image of worker or unemployed. There's the image of artist or poet. There's the, you know, we all have these images and they're different and there's multiple identities. So for me, it's like father, uh, YouTuber, doctor, um, musician, comedian, whatever the the dumb names that I've labeled over the years of you know who it is I think that aspect of my identity is, they're all beautiful, they're all right there, they're all story. You can inhabit them fully, but inhabit them knowingly that they are a story. And so when those identities drop, then this idea of the one who has the body that isn't that of a 50-year-old <laughs> can realize Going to the gym is a pain in the ass for me. It's a 20 minute drive. And, you know, I enjoy aspects of it, but other aspects I don't. So I tried to go once. I was like, let me see if I'm really feeling this right. I went and I was like, no, I don't like this. I don't want to do this right now. Now that could change. Like it's New Year's Day. So I've been out of balance in terms of eating because been around family, eating all sorts of stuff, going out to eat. It's been great. But now maybe there's a feeling in the body that, oh no, you need something a little more vigorous. Um, Maybe I'll go to the gym a bit. Who knows, right? But this idea that we kind of hold ourselves to these ridiculous self-imposed identities and that we think other people really care or matter in that way, they're all projections of our own internal state. 
what we think others think of us. We can't know what they think. And it certainly doesn't matter because we can't ever know. So what shows up is you show up in the world with compassion. You show up with love because the other is not other. The other is still the same unborn, unmanifest, awake presence that's beyond conception. Looking through all eyes, different perspectives, the same one. And this is not something you believe. This is something you realize through direct apprehension, direct experience. That's where meditation, retreat, sometimes for some people, psychedelics, different things can give you glimpses, if not stable shifts into these sort of realizations. Marielle says, I've struggled with image forever and it's always changing. I'm doing strength workouts as a female in uh, perimenopausal years to try to prevent falls later and breaks, but no gym, just light weights. So beautiful. So it sounds like you're doing what your body is telling you to do. And maybe there's some science that says, yeah, that's a good thing to do. And so your values are, I, I don't wanna have a fracture and so on and so forth. And you do those things, that's beautiful. What There's really nothing more to think about there, right? We We seem to think that, operating in this um, house of mirrors of thought, which is just the sixth sense. It's another phenomenal sense perception, these thought images. We think that those are necessary to actually function and succeed and get what we want in life. And even that, and even that statement, get what we want in life, that's all thought. What do I want in life? If you wanna see, again, if you wanna see how something can live without that, just watch your pet. Watch your dog or your cat, you know, mostly cats because dogs still have, they're almost humanish in their attachment to kind of this, these emotional drives. Um, cats are much more solitary creatures. So you can watch how they move and they move based entirely on impulse, instinct, transient emotion, likely. If there's thought structure, it's very simple thought. That's like, okay, if I do that, I do that, I do that, I do that. Very, very straightforward. There's basic conditioning. And that thing just does its thing. Is it afraid of death? Only to the extent that it has natural impulses to avoid danger, but when it's ready to die, it just dies. It doesn't stress. It doesn't write memoirs. It doesn't, that was from Burn After Reading, by the way. Uh, John Malkovich is like, I'm writing my memoir. Um, It doesn't uh, have existential crisis that we know of. It just closes its eyes and dies. And that kind of life surrender, like it's surrendering to what it is, to what's happening. It's not pushing and pulling on life. Even when it's going catching a mouse or whatever, it, that is the flow of life. Um, let's see. Marielle says, I'm thinking this year I go to the I go to retreat. I've been leading um, meditation as a therapist at the VA, but I'm uh, looking for more direct practice outside of daily life. Marielle, well, dude, if you're if you're leading meditation, I think retreat is a great idea. And I'll I'll tell you why I like meditation retreats. Because this can be very slippery. It can be another way to avoid what's actually happening. I'll go on retreat so I don't have to face these strong emotions in life or this difficult situation at work or whatever. So it's kind of like get away from it and just uh, hide out or use retreat as a kind of seeking mechanism. Like, well, if I just go to enough retreats, I'll wake up or I'll have equanimity or I'll 
uh, attain no self or I'll do my shadow work, what, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're seeking retreat can. And I know because I've fallen into all these traps. My first retreat, I was so blown open by the experience of it. Um, Cause there were a lot of like mystical experiences that actually happened for me in the first retreat, a sense of total, I mean, I, I've talked about it in other videos and those were very like, oh, so, okay. So then when I go home, I, I wanna make sure those things continue and da, 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 da. And what I didn't realize at the time is those are yet more appearances, more experiences. There were insights embedded in those experiences that stuck. Those were, those are beautiful, but chasing the experiences is more seeking. It's more mind stuff. It's more ego. It's more personality. Those are, and they're all fine, but you got to know that that's what's going on. So what I like about retreat, I realize now having done like five of them, and again, you you wonder, so what are you trying to avoid? What are you escaping? What are you seeking? So you always have to ask, why am I doing this retreat? Okay. And I'll tell you what it's settled on now for me is retreat is permission to dive into exploring this moment and your true nature without the typical distractions that make it hard to do that. So in typical human life, we go into complicity with other humans and generate a world that's based entirely in thought, belief, story, identity. And in order to um, get by in that world, we feel like we have to be complicit in it. So other people, we, the, even the way we talk to other humans generates a sense of you and, and me and you, separation, time, space, story, identity, all of it. So if you're exploring your true nature, which is free from all belief, all view, all position, reality doesn't care about any of that. It is infinite potential. Now, only now, always now, eternally now. Well, going on retreat means your meals are taken care of. Your schedule is taken care of. You don't talk, so you don't go into complicity with other humans. You're told you don't have to make eye contact. You don't have to acknowledge other people. You just show up at the right place at the right time, sit quietly. If it's a Q&A, if you have a question, you can speak. If it's poetry rounds, you can read a poem if you want, or just be silent. If it's in between those things, you're walking in nature, you're sitting in your room, you're writing in a journal, whatever it is that you do, or you're meditating more. And it's all taken care of. So all the complicity, all the social structures, all the noise, all the distractions, which means this, go away if you do it with full sincerity and earnestness. And so what then are you left with? (laughs) Well, the infinite universe right here, right now, and your true nature. So that's why retreat is so powerful because You're gifted with an opportunity in a crazy society to do something really even more insane by the standpoints of society, which is question every single thing, everything, all of it. From the standpoints of society, that is crazy talk, right? But, hmm, I can say now, with each retreat, it's like a a click. And I'm not saying this in terms of achievement, It's a click of, oh, okay, that's what feeling 
uninhibited, unresisted emotion is like, or that's what emptiness shows up as in this moment, this radiance, or, oh, this is what unbound awake presence feels like as an identity. Like really interesting realizations, interesting meaning I can talk about them in ways that might sound interesting, but the word interesting doesn't even apply. It's just like, oh, that's what reality is. That's another aspect of reality showing itself. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of retreat. Yeah, and online retreats are great, Jennifer, as you point out to Marielle. Online retreats work pretty much just as well if you treat them seriously. So you actually treat it as a retreat. So maybe you go to a hotel to do the online retreat, or maybe you tell everyone, friends and family, that you, that you, you're not talking. If, if you treat it as just like another thing you do during the day, mm, it's less effective. It could still be powerful, but it's less effective. Marianne says, so true. I just finished a Zoom retreat with Angelo and uh, being in my home was so distracting. Yeah, I, I, that retreat in, at the end, I couldn't do it because I couldn't commit to it because I knew that one of the days we had something, we had to go travel, the kids were around, everybody was off. And I was like, nah, it's not good to do that. I've done, I've done a Zoom retreat with Angelo and I couldn't get out of taking my kids to school and uh, doing things that I needed to do to make the house run because uh, my wife works. And I found it really hard. It was really schizophrenic. It was still super helpful though, because what I had to do was sit with these feelings of frustration anger, annoyance, um, shame, like, oh man, I can't even sit and do this retreat because there's so many distractions. So that was helpful. So in every single thing, you can find a teacher because life is ultimately the best teacher. By the way, how does, how's this microphone sound? I, I, it's a new year, so I switched the camera sides. I got a new little lens for my camera, so it's a little wider angle. Got a little microphone. It's these little things that keep me interested. Otherwise, I might just disappear into a cave somewhere with my kids because I can't not have my kids and my wife because um, I'm attached still and I will always be probably. Trudolph, I just retweeted some of your COVID propaganda. We all love Trump juice. Oh, Trudolph, I'm so glad to have someone who's still talking about COVID here. <laughs> Uh, DVD Mon, um, Marianne Scanlon, yeah. Oh, talking to Marianne. Yeah, I was tempted by other stuff on my PC. Even just the chat and the Zoom meetings can be distracting. See, I find when there's Zoom retreat and the chat is open on Zoom, uh, it's like, dude, what are you doing chatting? I mean, unless it's Q&A. And even then it's kind of like, then ask a question because going into chat is going into complicity with other humans in a social setting that will completely derail. Um, it, it, I wanna be careful how I say this. It will pull you back up into mind space. It will pull you back into thought space, complicity, this whole dream. And, if, and that's fine, but it ain't retreat in my opinion. I have strong opinions, which are all wrong because there's no right <laughs> opinion. Jennifer Santos, same. I thought about doing it in the evenings and weekend, but it just didn't work out. Also had reservations because we were just in, uh, in one a month ago. I was torn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it didn't work out for me, but it, it did for quite a few people. 
The Million Things says, question, wondering if you can make, if you can relate, uh, it's like observing metacognition inquiry, or uh, is it like a standing wave of thought persistent and awake from its perspective, it's related to falling asleep. Ooh, that's a tough sentence to parse out. I kind of can feel what you're pointing out. It's like observing metacognition inquiry or is like a standing wave of thought persistent. I think you're observing different aspects of how consciousness shows up. So sometimes there's a feeling of a witness, like I'm watching experience happening from a standpoint of consciousness itself. So the kind of witnessing consciousness of um, the I am sense, like that's one kind of metacognition and it's watching thoughts and emotions and sensations on, on unfurl, right? So that's that's one stance that consciousness can have. Another stance is consciousness assumes sort of non-duality with thought itself. And so, everything is seen from the perspective of thought. And that's more the standard human condition where you actually identify with thought, you identify with a body, a mind, seeing out into the world, and it's all thought. And that's kind of more like um, mind identification. So that's a a way um, reality can show up, right? Then there's that metacognition of, the I am sense, the witnessing consciousness, then there's something really quite simple, remarkable in the sense that it's free from all restraints, in a sense, free from thought as a label or as a as a binding aspect that makes a chair a chair. That's a thought that makes a chair a chair. So what is a chair when I look at it? Indescribable thatness, right? So this aspect of consciousness awareness, even those words don't make sense at this point, non-duality, not two. There is no viewer of the chair. There's no metacognition or witnessing consciousness of the chair, there is just chair chairing. And then the next thing and the next thing and the next thing happening as phenomenon eternally in the now void emptiness. And the way that shows up is, as it's said in the Bible, the peace that passeth all understanding beyond the mind. Um. And that's just, that's how it is actually for you right now. It just doesn't seem that way because thought shows up as another appearance and puts a label on things. Um, so those are kind of aspects of reality. Lizette, Lizette, I had some of your delicious booze over the holidays and thought about you. I did this um, end uh, of year online retreat with Angela. Yeah, that's the one we were talking about earlier. And it was quite challenging since hubby was out of town and I stayed home with the younger kids and the two cats. Well, surprisingly worked okay. See, that's the thing. Even with all the distractions, it can still work out pretty good. Um, Let's see. Diana's coming from Lisbon. Anne, 
Um, I watch our native birds at my window while watching. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we did a little walk up in Petaluma in uh, near Marin, and there's this bird sanctuary called Schollenberger Park. And we saw some crazy beautiful birds. Um, it's pretty awesome. Let's see. Oh, Sylvia, did you report how your kitty is without teeth? That's right. So, hey, sorry to interrupt this episode. It's Dr. Z. Just a quick pitch here. If you can just leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, it helps us a lot. I also want to hear what you think about this episode when you're done listening. Hello at ZDogMD.com. It's the best way for me to hear your voice because the emails come right to me. And we don't have a comment section on most podcast platforms. Maybe Spotify has one, but nobody else does. So it really gets your voice involved on episodes, especially that don't have a video. And the third thing is if you want to be a part of this community and support the show, join our supporter tribe, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. You can join on YouTube, Locals, Facebook, Instagram. You get live videos with me where we're talking about these things in depth, uncensored, and your comments are fully incorporated as in real time. And then we do these Zoom meetings where it's really like a beautiful community where we share our experiences on the awakening journeyless journey. How are we going to transform ourselves so we can transform healthcare and education and government? Because those systems are epiphenomena of us. Until we wake up, those systems will stay asleep. They'll, they're just an expression of our own delusion. So being a part of that, it supports this message so others can hear it. And it also allows for our own collective growth. So we need each other in that way. It's really, really, really tightly interwoven and interdependent. That's it. Back to your regular schedule, regularly scheduled show. My supporters know this. You guys know I talked about this, like the cat was a six-year-old cat we have, Mitch. She's a female. <laughs> so Mitch has had like lost a tooth. So we took her to the vet back in the summer and the vet was like, this cat's mouth is a disaster area. The teeth are totally like, there's this thing that cats get called bone reabsorption where the, the, tooth are, the teeth are actually attacked by the body and nobody knows why it's happening, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But typically it happens in older cats, like 60% of older cats have it. But this cat was so young and most of the teeth were affected, had already lost a few teeth. And the cat's behavior was such that we were like, there's nothing wrong with this cat. But then the closer we looked, we realized, wait, she's often frantically asking for the brush and she'll rub her face on the brush and she won't let us go. Like she'll just keep rubbing the brush. So we're like, wait, now this is, this may be, she's actually having symptoms. And then we would just kind of notice her general behavior. She'd often shake her head and do things like this. And we're like, I bet she's having difficulty. So the vet told us the disease burden in this mouth was so bad that it would require a specialized um, animal dentist. And there's like three in all of Northern California. So I reached out to one here near in town and they were just, they were such jerks about everything. Um, like they, they wanted a deposit. They wouldn't see us in a consult unless we agreed to surgery, like all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. Cause it's expensive. You guys like it's crazy. So I found another one up in um, Petaluma who um, was really got on the phone with me and basically talked me through the ins and outs of, why you would do this procedure and why you wouldn't. And, you know, I told him, I said, look, I'm a doctor and I'm a minimal interventionalist. I don't like 
doing things to people or to animals if you can avoid it, because usually um, we often cause more harm than good, especially if we don't know what we're doing. We don't know that the cat is suffering. We can't ask the cat questions. The cat plays, gets belly rubs, seems mellow. And he sat with me on the phone and said, okay, so all of that seems correct, but you have to remember the way these cats and dogs and stuff evolve. They are not supposed to show pain or weakness because it puts them at risk uh, evolutionarily. So they can tolerate large amounts of discomfort without showing you that anything's wrong. But if you were to compare it with a non-suffering version of itself, that non-suffering version would be much more active, more playful, would show itself very differently. But what you're seeing is a subdued animal that seems comfortable, but it may not be. Now you can't know for sure, of course, but he said, looking at the pictures of your cat's mouth, if, if a human had similar tooth disease, and we know that cats have similar nervous structure and uh, innervation as humans, uh, that human would be in excruciating pain. And so something to think about, and the cat's young, so can I say that the cat won't get an infected abscess in a tooth, won't have other problems that will shorten its life? I can't say that. And so it's really up to you, it's expensive. Um, most people probably wouldn't do it based on the cost because it's you know expensive, but it's your pet so you can decide. And this is, these are the complications, this is what's involved. It's a day worth of surgery. You can do pre-op labs, which we think are um, uh, uh, helpful to, if you're concerned about like, some pre-existing condition that would cause anesthesia, anesthesia complications. And I said, well, what if we don't do the pre-op labs? Like, why would we you know, spend another $500 and put the cat through another vet visit and all of this if the cat's teeth are so bad that you're saying, well, you either do the surgery or not based on what you're deciding on anyways. Um, and he said, yeah, that's very practical decision. If you don't wanna do it, you just say informed consent. Um, and we'll do the best we can with the cat without having that information. The reason we like to do labs, pre-op labs on animals is that we can't ask them questions, obviously. Um, so he was cool with that. So then I said, all right, let's do it. Because the cat, increasingly, the more we paid attention, now we might've been just suggestible, right? Who knows? The more we paid attention, the more I was like, this cat is telling me it wants its teeth out. And the truth is the, de the Venice recommended entire mouth extraction because there were, there were a couple teeth that weren't, totally decroded yet, but he said, just give it time because this process is systemic. Um, and then you'll be back and you'll have to do this again. Um, put the cat under anesthesia, all of this stuff. So we, um, let me make sure I'm not boring you guys uh, with this. Let me read these comments. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we went my wife and I got up at 6 a.m., drove the hour and a half north to this place, brought the cat, met the, the vet, uh, the veterinary dentist. It was a specialized, so they train in veterinary medicine and they do specialty training. We loved him. We were like, yeah, this guy's like one of us. Like he gets it. He's very practical, uh, very good with the cat. Like, you know, some vets are very, you know, kind of squeamish about how they handle the cats. This one was just like, here you go, opens the mouth, looks in, like authoritative. Um, and so left her there during the day, she gets intubated. They do like imaging prior to see the extent and what they need to do if there are retained roots and different things from teeth that have fallen out. Had a whole mouth extraction um, with anesthesia and everything. And wow, um, 
it was crazy. Cause at the end, every tooth was extracted. The cat was totally gomed out like ketamine and all the anesthetic they use. And we were like, we've made a terrible mistake. Cause when we saw her, she was just like, oh, drooling and all this and took her home. The vet was super helpful with the post-op care, buprenorphine for pain meds you put in her mouth. The next day she just looked like ass. And we're like, you know, we took a healthy cat, spent a ton of money, tortured her into submission and ripped all her teeth out. Like, what, what were we thinking, right? But the dentist was like, just wait, just wait. These are, these are the things you watch for, et cetera. Day two, cat was active, running around, facial swelling had gone down, eating the dry food. So this is the thing. They, so cats don't need teeth to eat. All their teeth are super sharp. They're not the typical like grinding molars that are used to grind food before you swallow it. They're sharp teeth used for grasping and killing animals in the wild. So when, if, if it were an outdoor cat and it, and it lived eating things in the wild, it would have problems. But an indoor cat just gulps the food, whether it's wet or dry and doesn't need the teeth to grind it. And so the cat was already eating its dry food like day two without any problems. And the sutures are reabsorb reabsorbable. So in two weeks, we take pictures for follow-up. Cat's already looking so much better, seems so much happier when we show her the brush. She's not rubbing her face on it and all that. And um, so I will keep you posted because she's only post-op day three or four or something. But I, I learned something because I was so resistant to doing the procedure. And so was my whole family. We're like, dude, what? How do you know the cat's having discomfort? The cat looks fine. And we were so blindsided because, you know, why the hell did she lose a tooth? Why did we take her to the vet and all that? And now, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Because if, if she could always have a complication still, something could happen. But I was just really impressed with how good um, this vet was and We'll see how she does after that. So that's the update on the vet. Um, that's why I couldn't do retreat because one of the days we had to take her up to the to the vet. Um, my cat bear is 17 today, says Mazzy. She has no teeth. Uh, she's a British blue, which is our typical British uh, sangfroid. My daughter brought her uh, from Harrods, London, and she acts like she's an empress. Dude, I tell you, animals, they are fantastical. I will never get another pet after this one though because- this was expensive and painful, but we love the cat. What can you do? Um, what was the name of the dental disease she had? I think they call it um, tooth reabsorption or bone reabsorption disease. Um, and he said it could be a mix of periodontal disease, gum disease, and bone reabsorption disease, but it's impossible to know in retrospect, uh, uh, you know, at this point. Lizette says, so happy to hear that. Everything is perfectly managed in the unborn, right? Yeah, and that was the other thing. Like, you know, like when Ishwar came to visit, I told him the story about the cat. I'm like, so we're gonna take this cat to the dentist. And he goes, he goes, look at the cat. The cat's telling you what to do. You already know what to do. Like, you're not making any decisions. Like, yeah, it's expensive and all that, but all these causes and conditions, everything's shown up. Cat's getting, his, getting her teeth out. That's just how it's gonna be. And there was no other decision. Um, and that's how it is. When we say everything is perfectly managed in the unborn, it means we, we are not doing this. Actually, in a sense, nothing is doing this. Life is doing this in a, as a process that's just beyond 
the way the human mind comprehends cause and effect. It, it, it really is. And this is something that <laughs> I'd say you have to believe me on this, but I don't like to say that. You will experience this as a realization that everything is happening exactly as it has to. And you're absolved from this feeling of agency. And yet, and yet the paradox is you show up in the world feeling like every choice you make is the best choice. So you still feel like you're making choices, but there's this deep intuition that choices are made, not by anyone. <laughs> things, things, decision points happen and you're not doing it. And it's not even like God is doing it. It is just, it's beyond description. So I will stop trying to talk about it. Um, Barbara says, yeah, try having three elderly chihuahuas at the same time, dollar, dollar, dollar. <laughs> We're down to one now. Oh, it's brutal, right? Animals are hard. Hey, Pippananda, Dennis. Years ago, I had a big cat that I saw eating a mouse. The tail was sticking out of his mouth and he swallowed it whole like a snake. I was a bit horrified at the time, LOL. Yeah, they are vicious predators. Um, it's pretty impressive. Oh, you're welcome, Anne. Ashley says, my favorite time of day is my meditation. My second favorite is right after when my cat crawls up for his morning snuggles. Yes. Cats can tell when you're in a in an open um, place too, you know? Um, Jennifer says, every day I'm experiencing this, but still have issues with giving up my false sense of control. I never even realized how much I'm holding on until recently. So I'm in the same boat with you. Like I've had this realization that like everything is perfectly managed by not me. And, and yet, as my wife will point out, you know, I still think I'm in control. I still try to control things. I still... And that, even that aspect of showing up is part of the perfect management that the Zubin organism shows up trying to control his kids or trying to, you know, um, control a decision. Like he wants pizza, they want this. So there'll be this, you know, um, negotiation that happens. Like I want this. Well, even that is an expression of this, but that can actually relax when it's really seen like, oh, there really isn't this doer that I thought was there. It's not what I thought. These decisions are happening. The sense of decision-making is happening, but it's not what I thought, which means you can relax. And think about shame and guilt, like sh even shame. Shame has to have a substrate. And the substrate is the one apart who could have been otherwise. What, what happens when that's seen through? Where is shame then? How can you find shame? Now, does that mean you become a psychopath and go murder people? Uh, typically not, no, because there's another thing that shows up, which is non-separation, unconditional love, true compassion, which is what arises naturally when suffering is faced, when it's met. And Simon Brown and I talked about this on podcasts. So I would definitely check out the ones we did with Simon Brown, as well as with um, Ishwar, which was a great conversation about the same stuff. Um, Levy says, uh, I've had some great lessons about not being in control by my wife and my daughters. Yeah, yeah. And you know, of course my wife is on this uh, 
journey kicking and screaming non-intentionally and, you know, awakening and all that. And, um, and she's really good at pointing out to me. She's like, oh, yeah, you really are trying to control this situation, aren't you? But she does it in such a non, because she knows like it's totally innocent. It's a total innocent movement of mind that does this. And so it's perceived that way. So instead of getting into an argument over, am I controlling or not? It's like, oh yeah, I'm totally trying to control the situation. Isn't that funny? And we'll laugh. <laughs> and then it falls away, you know? Um, it's not always perfect. We both get caught in loops of thought that does happen. Let me get my glasses on. My glasses, remember Velma from Scooby-Doo? Every time she would lose her glasses, her eyes would get like like this. And she'd be like, my, my, my glasses, like jinkies, Scoob. I, 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 I can't... I can't see without, and she'd be poking around the ground and then she'd like she'd go, Scooby, is that you? She'd put her hand on someone's face and it was like, and it would be the ghost. She'd be like, it's a g -g 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 ghost. Thought you guys would not like that. So I dredge up some 80s for you. Um, what do you do when you get angry with the children, Diana? Oh, anger arises. And uh, if I'm very present, it shows up as, Compassion, like it's just a very direct, clear, not um, blamey kind of a, you know, I, I really find it difficult when you leave all your dirty dishes out. So I would love it if you didn't do that. And when I'm less present, it's like, man, you left your dish out again. What the heck, man? <laughs> or whatever it is. And then quickly you kind of realize, oh man, wow, that was some reactivity. You kind of feel into, all right, where's that? Oh yeah, it's this, again, it's, hmm, what is it? What is it? Because it's never about someone else. That's that's the realization. It's never about someone else. And some people will find this hard to hear because they're like, no, 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 but this person's a real butthole and my kids are real assholes. It's like, no, 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 it's never about someone else. It's always, your reaction is always about you, always. How can it not be? How can someone else control your reaction? They don't know anything about you. As much as they want to manipulate you, maybe, maybe they're a psychopath, they're trying to manipulate you, they can't control anything about you. You do that. Your, your reaction is your internal state. And you don't control the reaction, but you control the reaction to the reaction. So if something arises in the body, like a flustered sense of like discomfort when you see the kid leaves their cereal bowl on the table instead of putting it in the sink, um, there's a couple things that can happen. The first thing that could happen is the standard human operating system, which is it triggers then emotion, which then triggers an outburst of reactivity, like you stinking kid, blah, 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 which helps a grand total of no one ultimately. The, the second thing that can happen is you can feel the reaction and go, ooh, yeah, ooh, that's just, oh, I'm gonna sit with that discomfort. Is there, is, there, is there anything in my immediate experience that says I need to do anything about this? Because it's already done. The bowl's already there. Nope. So instead of reacting, you respond. And the next time you see the kid, you go, yeah, you left your bowl out again. It's probably good to just put it in the sink. So I'll just keep telling you and remind you every time because I know it's hard to remember. Whatever. Response instead of reaction. Uh, much more helpful. Um, somebody here said, where was it? Mazimo said, I was talking about Jeff Foster and then the uh, comment got deleted, but hey, Jeff's amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. It's cool that you're friends with him. Um, 
he talks about this too, like just li- you're living life. Like that's part of the story. You're not trying to escape. You're not trying to avoid. Oh, Dr. Ryan is now a subscriber on YouTube. Hey, brother. So Ryan is like amazing, you guys. Um, emergency doctor, big wig, big wig, big wig. Um, and big wig awake, if I can say that, if that's a thing. Um, Quirky Dave, sounds perfect. The peace or the grief are both perfect expressions of love. That is it. All, all of it, right, um, Ryan? Like we've talked about this, like because we talk about PTSD and different things like that. Um, once, once these realizations start to happen, everything is seen as an expression of that perfection, even the hard things, which means doesn't mean they're less hard in that way. Doesn't mean they're not, they're desirable, like you want them to happen, but it means that they happened and they're part of the textures of life and they're all a teacher for you. (laughs) Is he single, says Sarah? No, no. Dr. Ryan is perfectly married with wonderful children. Um, <laughs> Anne says, yeah, yay, the neighbor has left a water bottle and his trash out for everyone to see. Blame it on, blames it on the raccoons. Um, <laughs> so even that, so Anne, you could talk about leaving the trash cans out as a kind of reactivity, like a trigger for reactivity and then go, okay, so the neighbor left this out and now I feel this and now I'm like, having this internal reaction. Um, I'm not saying you're having this. I'm just saying this is a great exercise actually. Okay, what, what do I really need to react internally? Like, it, does it actually, is it necessary? Is there anything? And then later you start to realize there's nobody to react. There's nothing to react. There's no entity to react. This is just a series of processes. Um, Oh, Quirky Dave, my father passed away December 15, 94. I'm very much at peace, but actually feel guilty for not having, for, for not having um, emotions. I'm sad yet accepting thoughts. Ah, first of all, sorry, I'm very sorry for your loss, but 94, wow, how beautiful to have your father for so many years. Um, Quirky Dave, this is something that I have, um, myself grappled with that that reactivity the pushing and pulling on life has settled down so much that it's not that you don't have emotions actually you have emotions that are very that are felt full on but they're not what you would typically expect typically so if your father passes there's sadness there may be grief, there may be sense of loss, there may be all those feelings, but they arise and fall away, they arise and fall away, and there isn't a pushing and pulling like, oh, if only, if only, if only. Although, notice what you said, I feel guilty about not having stronger whatever, right? So even that feeling guilty is another arising kind of emotion that'll arise and fall away. It comes from a belief right? So that feeling of, and this is where a little inquiry can go a long way. Like, okay, I've lost my father, 94 years old. Like that is hard. That is extremely um, 
it's apparent, right? Now, I have probably, if you investigate, there are a lot of beliefs that are hidden and not hidden about how that should go down. Like simple beliefs like he shouldn't have died, my father should live forever, or um, my father should outlive me, or vice versa, or death is the end or bad. So those kind of beliefs. And then there's beliefs about our own reaction, like I should be more sad, or shouldn't I feel X, or I'm not a good son because I don't feel Y. Those are all labels and beliefs. They're all thoughts. They're all operating. And if they're operating unconsciously, that's when they can drive emotions that feel very uncomfortable and we don't know what's going on. So one of these, one of the approaches that I found to be useful, and this is very helpful at retreat when you have real clarity, but it can, you really want to do it any time that you remember to do it. If a feeling of guilt arises, investigate immediately, go, okay, this is a interesting feeling. Like, and it's it's associated with a little suffering, like I'm feeling some suffering. So that's usually a it's grace. It's like, ooh, look here, look here. Here's something to inquire because there's suffering. What could be happening? Because when there's suffering, there's something to look at. There's some belief, there's some structure that needs to be seen in order to allow and release. So, okay, I feel guilty that I don't feel worse or more beside myself or upset about my father's passing, let's say. Okay, so let me feel into the body, where is this feeling of guilt arising? And then let me look at it, is there any belief there? Yeah, what's the belief? Well, I should feel more, okay. Is that true? Now you start investigating. Does it change anything? Does, is he aware of what you're feeling? Does it affect him that you don't feel more obvious grief, whatever it is? Um, is it necessary in any way? And again, then the questions about death, is his passing something that um, is so intolerable that, you know, and, and you go down the chain and you keep looking and you keep looking and you keep looking. And you keep feeling so, okay, oh, oh, just even asking that question, looking into that belief brings up a feeling of shame, unworthiness, and then some childhood memory about something that happened. And then you go down that rabbit hole and that is shadow work. It's bringing things that were previously hidden into the light of awareness. And that's all you need to do. You don't need to push and pull. You don't need to analyze them. You don't need to heal them. You just allow them to be perceived, to be felt in consciousness. And that itself seems paradoxically to allow release um, because that which is resisted is persisted. That which you resist persists is a good rule of thumb. Okay. Looking at comments. 94 years of love released into the everywhere, Mazzy Moo. I like that. Um, Grace Happens says, who's a subscriber, thank you. Uh, by the way, if you guys want to subscribe uh, in 2024, it's a nice New Year's resolution to come join our little tribe where we do a lot of live shows and we're going to have online retreats for supporters only and that kind of thing, if you're into that kind of thing. 
uh, it helps support all of this, um, you know, cause I'm not doing a lot of talks and other things uh, to support all this. Um, Grace happens, where was your comment? Where did it go, darling? There it is. I felt through a lot of emotions after being triggered by all the M80s going off last night, yeah. I'm now at peace and so grateful for the pointer to go inside the body emotions and just feel them, yeah. Especially if you have PTSD, it's kind of like, if you're well-resourced, like we talked about with Simon Brown and you're, you're not re-triggering yourself, but you can sit with the body response and go into the body, where is this in the body? When the firecracker goes off, where do I feel it? What's associated emotions, let me feel that. Is there a story or a belief that arises that needs to be felt, you know? The million things regarding initial reactions, that's tough. The physical response sure seems like it's caused by whatever the event is. What have you realized about the causes of those immediate physical sensations? Beautiful question. Okay, okay. Um, and I like, the way, I like the way you phrase that because you said, what have you realized about that question. You didn't say, what do you know about this? Or what's your opinion about this? Or what have you read about this? Or how do you feel about this? Like, it's what have you realized? So have you looked in your direct experience? This goes for everybody. Have you looked in your direct experience as to what is going on? Okay, so this is my direct experience of this and yours may vary. When there's a trigger, the body, the whole body-mind organism thing is like a giant sense organ. It is one with the environment. It is the environment. And so it's like a big spider's web. If there's a vibration here, it's felt in the center because there is no center. It's just one happening. So when that something happens in the environment, like a firecracker goes off, the body may resonate with that and, and respond. And we don't even have to invoke cause and effect. We could just say it's one happening that's interdependent in a way that's so out of the realm of normal human causality. Because human causality, cause and effect is thought-based. But reality is very difficult to talk about, but it's all interdependent. Like a butterfly effect interdependent beyond standard linear causality because there isn't time and space. So how do you have causality when there's no time and space? It's just like, mm -hmm. it, it's not, you can't talk about it. So the body then has a reaction that absolutely seems related to what's happening in the environment. So cause and conditions arise, the body has a response as causes and conditions dictate. Yes, so those reactions are absolutely triggerable by things in the environment. But that's just a reaction in the body, that's all it is. So you can feel it as what it is. What is not inevitable is the cascade that then follows where there's a desire and aversion, like, oh no, I don't like this, or I do like it. And then a grasping for more that you like, or a pushing away for what you don't like, and then jumping into thought or into reaction to try to make that happen. That's reactivity, desire and aversion. So when that calms down or is seen through that there's really nobody there to desire or avert and there's nothing that you can do to reality, reality is just happening. 
Well, then the reactivity calms down. So the body still has the response, but the mental games getting caught in the thought train and the emotion train and identifying with it and being lost in mind identification, that doesn't happen. And therefore suffering goes to zero. Because even though this sensation may feel not preferable, like, no, I don't like the feeling of this. That's fine, but you realize you can sit with it and it's not gonna hurt you. And so there's no suffering because there's no resistance. There's no resistance to what is. Um, I gotta go soon, guys, but uh, it, by the way, is this mic working and stuff? Let me know. I, someone probably commented earlier, but I, I forgot because I don't, oh wait, I can actually, I can answer that question. Okay. Hey, yeah, it is working. Um, now I know, and knowing is half the battle. I think getting too close to this mic is a bad idea. I think you have to be probably back here because it is a very sensitive microphone, a U87 Neumann. Jason says, I'm trying to practice stoicism as a rising intern in internal medicine. Is it possible to do this without seeming passive, jaded, or nonchalant? Beautiful. Yes, and I'll tell you how. <laughs> it's not a how. You will feel into this. I love this question. So stoicism is a kind of meditative uh, non-reactivity. And it doesn't mean you don't have emotions. It means, again, desire, aversion, reactivity uh, go to zero or go quite a bit down. So it's not only it's not only like, okay, it's desirable to have this kind of non-reactivity in medicine. And what it means is things happen. You, again, you feel it in the body. A patient yells at you, you feel it in the body, but you don't go down the reactivity cascade. So does that mean you show up as like Spock, like non-emotional? No, because you're feeling emotions. Emotions are all there. You show up with unconditional love <laughs> because you know, it's not a belief. You know you, there's a realization that that person is doing exactly what that person is doing and it couldn't be otherwise. And if they're doing it and they're suffering, so they're angry at you and it's coming from a place of suffering because you can feel it because you're a big sense organ. Well, you're gonna show up in a way that doesn't, doesn't make that suffering worse at best and makes it better, right? So, uh, sorry, it doesn't make it worse at the minimum and at the best, you make it better by your actions. And that doesn't mean you have to be sappy and all like, overflowing with emotion. It means that you just do the right thing. You show up and you hold space for people. You're listening with your entire body. People respond to that directly, directly. So you can be as stoic and non-reactive as you can and still hold space so attentively that people feel seen and heard. And that's what people are looking for. They're not looking for you to jump out of your skin and show all this emotion necessarily, right? Sometimes that's appropriate and you'll know when that is because you'll just do it. It'll just happen. Um, so I love what you're doing. Don't stop. It's the most important thing you're doing in all your medical training, actually. Truly, beautiful. Um, getting close to the mic is ASMR tinkles. Susan O, that's right. 
Um, I'll say this again. This mic with my good headphones gives me goosebumps. It sounds so good. Yeah, this mic is sick. It's like a 3,000 some odd, $3,600 mic new, but I got it years ago um, used and I used it for all my music videos and it's been in my closet and I finally pulled it out and was like, I like this microphone for podcasting. I'm going to wear this so I can hear myself, give myself tingles. And I, I screwed with some of the settings too. So it's a little, a little more gravelly. Ashley says, I love what Simon said to do with your new year's resolution and the best new year's resolution you can make. Just pay attention. I love it. Simon is so brilliant. Um, paying attention. I mean, it's the biggest gift you can give. Pay attention to your own body. Pay attention to this moment. Pay attention to others. Be fully present as much as you can, dropping out of thought space into this space, which is all space. All time, everything is here because it's always just been now. So boy, what a gift to give yourself and others is that attention that presence with all your being. My heart feels full. I love you guys and thank you for your presence. Oh, Jennifer, how beautiful. Mazimu, if you react to untruth, you make it real. Right, and it doesn't mean you don't respond. Like if someone's lying to you, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna do something appropriate about that but I'm not gonna perseverate. I'm not gonna go into thought and think about retribution and sh and why, why would they do that? And, um, you know, they should have done it this way. This person should not have lied to me. Okay, let that go. Anything, anytime you should on yourself, <laughs> it's the mind reacting. Responding is very different. You do the right thing, right? You just do the right thing. Marianne absolutely had this experience with a hospitalist when I was in the hospital last summer, it was amazing, yes. And you know, Angelo and I have spoken about this idea of when there isn't a strong sense of self anymore, the amount of, the ability to be present with another human is so profound that other humans open up in a way that, that can be quite surprising. Like they'll say things to you that you're just like, wow, we barely met or you know, whatever it is. And uh, it's really quite beautiful. Let's see. Talking about music, I wrote an awakening parody version of Patience by Guns N' Roses. You gotta check it out. Oh, that's awesome. Just a little patience, yeah. Um, Ann Karn spent a lot of time listening to the Nutcracker over the, <laughs> you said Nutcracker. Um, all right, well, Let's see, other stuff for New Year's. I shared a thing on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Locals, that was my friend Tatiana that I met at retreat gave me. Uh, it was a, this beautiful quote by somebody whose name I forget about New Year's wishes. And it, and it said, you know, it's not, a, I, I can't wish that you have this wonderful New Year and all that. It's, I'm paraphrasing the whole thing. I wish that when difficult things are met, you meet them with softness instead of hardness and that your heart is just torn open. Like I wish there was a crowbar that could just tear open your chest and have your heart be so wide open and that every day was like an advent calendar with a surprise gift and a blessing in every single day, 
even in the setting of difficulty. And I think that was so beautiful. Um, Pipananda, when I start to actually realize I'm consciousness manifesting as body and world with no central self, there are both feelings of everything disappearing, which feels like death, and fearless freedom. Yes. I think Angelo's friend Alma, who is also my friend, said, um, said it really well. She said, no self-realization is like being a corpse and a newborn at the same time. It's just like that. Yeah, no center because there's no subject anymore. There's just experience. There's just life. There's just phenomena. There's just, and it's empty. It's completely coming out of nothing and it has no substance. And yet it's full of what? Presence, life, unconditional love. I, I don't know. The words are, they fall flat, right? But it's so, it's just so, mm. freedom is a beautiful way of describing it, Pip. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, how about we start, we end this show and start the new year with just a quick settling into this. And I say settling in because we're not finding it. We're not going anywhere to get it. We're not uncovering it. We're not returning to it because we never left, we never could. This perfection here and now. hesitate to say a word about it. New year, old year, it's eternally always this. Every sensation in the body, every sight, every sound, every vibratory thought that's fluttering through consciousness. 
appearing and falling away like a waterfall of luminosity. And in and as it all is this deep, perfect stillness, radiating all of it as it, inseparable. The heart of the heart of the heart of the heart, this. You never left it, you never could. 2024, 22, 24, it doesn't matter. It's always this. Freedom, stillness, silence that is full of sound. And perfection beyond the mind's conceptions. All right. Have a wonderful day, month, and year, because it's always now. And we are out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.